uh, we'll dismiss the kindergarten and first graders through the back door. And again, you have your Bibles there open. If you don't have one, please use the the Bible in the chair in front of you. Romans eight twenty eight. This verse that you probably have on a refrigerator magnet or some sort of plaque in your house. A very famous verse we'll be talking about this morning. Probably by now you have either heard about or read about the 33 miners that are trapped in a mine in Chile. Uh, gosh, it's been maybe a month ago that there was a cave-in and there were a number of miners down in the mine and uh, they ran to a, a little shelter and it took 17 days to find the men and they finally found them and now they're trying to figure out how to get these men out and obviously the officials on this scene are concerned because of the physical needs of the men here they live in this small compartment it's 90 to 93 degrees all the time and for the first 17 days when they couldn't be found the the 17 men were living off of two days rations and so now they're they're thinking about how to help these men physically but because of the nature of where they are, they're going to bore a hole, a 26-inch hole, down through a half a mile. That's how far down these men are. And they're going to bore this 26-inch hole down to them and then pull them out one by one. But because of the nature of the earth and, and where they are and a lot of other complications, it might take four months before they get down to that chamber. And so now the officials on the scene, they're not only concerned about the physical well-being of these men, but the psychological well-being of these men. They live in a very small compartment, might be like a small apartment. There's 33 men and they can get them food, but how do you help somebody who's living a half mile below the earth's crust? Somebody who feels buried and trapped and they can't get out of this situation. So... Just this week, officials have called in NASA officials, a team of uh, sub-commanders from the U.S. to try to help with the psychological uh, nature of the things that these men are going to be dealing with, whether it's over a month or four months. And one of the articles that I read about this, there was a quote from the Minister of Health, and this is what he said, The miners need to understand what we know up here at the surface. I mean, these these miners feel trapped. These miners feel buried. They are buried. They are trapped. And this minister of health is saying, you know, in order to help these men psychologically, when they're in this place that they just feel like they can't get out of, what would help them is news from the surface. This is what, how we see things from up here. Be encouraged. We're working for your good. And I wondered in that story if you ever felt that way. That life's events unfolded in a way that you felt trapped. You felt buried. You're in this small compartment and you just couldn't figure a way how to get out. And how do you survive at that point? 
or if you're a Christian, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, and you begin to examine yourself, maybe anew, and you think, I can't believe I still sin this way. I can't believe I still think this way. I can't believe this habit hasn't finally been broken. I, I would be traumatized to have anybody know a fraction of the things that go through my head and you get discouraged and it seems to bury you and you hear these whisperings in your mind. Maybe you're not even really a Christian. I mean, you've been a Christian all this time and you can't seem to get by this. Maybe you're not the real deal. And those kinds of thoughts, those kinds of pressures, whether they're coming from inside of you or they're coming from events outside of you, you can feel trapped. You can feel buried. And my question this morning is when you get into those places, how do you survive? How do you get help? Where would you turn in your Bible? And I think this is one of the places that you would turn. Because whether you're groaning, we saw this last week in 823 from uh, outside circumstances, or you turn back to chapter 7, verse 24, when Paul's looking at himself and he says, what, what a wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me? No matter where you might be, I think Paul is trying to help us here in these verses. Uh, when Paul, like I said, goes to starts in verse 18 he's really answering he's trying to answer these kinds of questions for the roman christians and these 21 verses to the end of the chapter 18 through 39 are meant to give us this rock solid assurance of our faith when you're you when your knees are knocking together when you feel trapped when you're in a situation or you you examine your own sin and you feel buried Paul is trying to, I think, deliver some news from the surface, the, the surface of eternity. He's trying to help you get some information from God's point of view that will help you through those particularly dark times. So before we look at verse 28, look back at, with me to verse 26, uh, 8.26. Paul says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And that weakness is we don't know what God's always doing. We look around at the situation and say, well, if I were God, I'd do this. But it, it doesn't appear as if that's happening. So you, you have a weakness. You can't see everything that God sees. And you get into those situations and you say this, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And I have to say that's, that's one of the most encouraging Verses in the Bible for me to hear from the Apostle Paul. The great Apostle Paul. The, the man who launched missions. The man who wrote half of the New Testament. Here he's telling me something that I already know. I don't know what to pray for. Have you ever gotten into that situation? You, you feel so buried. You, you thought, well, this is the way out. So you prayed for that and that wasn't the way out. And you thought this was the way out and that wasn't the way out. And then you just get to a place where you're either on your knees or on your face or you're pacing back and forth. And you just say to God, what are you doing? Where are you? What's the way out here? I don't even know what to pray for. I've, I've run out of all the options. 
And when you get to that point, then you're just left, as Paul says, with just groaning. Many of us have been to that place. You just just groaning i don't know what he's doing i don't even know what to pray for i don't have any idea which way he might be turning his events and so you groan and it's in the middle of this groaning it's in the middle of this bewilderment it's in the middle of just being buried that paul writes this great verse and we know We know that for those who love God, all things are working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see what he says? He says, hey, you're getting into situations and you don't know. There's something you don't know. I just don't know how to pray at this particular point. And when you get to that place, then he turns and says, hey, there's something you do know. If I were at New Beginning with Robert Campbell, I'd say, now just turn to your neighbor and say, we know something. So turn to your neighbor and say, we know something. We know something. You get into places in your life and you don't know something. You say, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know which way to go. And Paul says, when you get to that place, I want to help you understand there is something rock solid that you can know. You can know something. Here's the message from the surface. God is at work and he is at work for your good. And you may be trapped down there. You may feel buried by it. But somehow God Almighty is working from an eternal surface and you can't see it. And he's working for your good. You can know that today. You can be sure of that today, even though you may walk back out of here into that same little compartment, feeling like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to pray. And even feeling that way, you can know He is working for your good. I think it's helpful to notice a couple of things here about this verse, a great promise that Paul doesn't say, We see that all things are working together for good. (laughs) Uh, If you're old enough, you know that's not true. You can know something, but not see it. And Paul's not promising you're always going to see that all things are working together for good. You might not even see it in your lifetime. If you live long enough, there are probably events that you do can look back and say, yeah, I see. But you may not see it. He doesn't say, I feel like God is working for good. You may not feel like he's working for good. You may feel like he's working for evil. You may feel like he's not working at all. You may have a host of feelings. That's okay. I'm fine with those feelings. I have them. Join me. But when I feel that way, I have to go to the Bible and say, but there's something I can know. Even despite my feelings, I know something. I know something about God and he is working things for good. So it's it's about what we know. And one of my questions was, well, how do you know? How, How can you be so rock solid that God in the midst of terrible circumstances, he's working for good? 
And there are lots of ways you can think about this. You can know, like I said, if you're old enough, just from your own personal experience, you look back and you say, wow, that was terrible. But there was something good that came out of that that I guess I just would have never been able to see. I never would have been able to recognize as painful as that was that did serve for good. At the moment that I was in it, I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. But I've moved on enough to say, hey, that's good. And there are lots of experiences that you probably have that way. I was just, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, yeah, it's kind of like when I took my kids to get their immunization shot. You remember this? You take them down to public health or wherever, and they're drooling, they're smiling, they're happy. And you're sitting them on their lap, bouncing around, and this lady who looks nice and hands out stickers pulls out a big old needle. And they don't know it. They think it's a toy. Hey, this is going to be neat. And you grab, you know, a big piece of what's on their thigh, which is mostly fat, and some nerve endings. No muscle tissue there at all. And she just... And your little smiling, drooling kid turns into a dragon in like one second. They're staring at you going, why did you let this happen? And you're the parent. You're the one that's supposed to be protecting them. But you say, I'm sorry, but what? It's... It's for your good. I know you don't feel like it's good right now. But trust me, this is going to be something that's for your good for your lifetime. So you, you know that. You know that from so many places in the Bible. Probably the, the place that you might think most of is the, the life of Joseph. Remember Joseph, he's the youngest son and he's the one who's got this coat and he's the one who has the dreams and says, hey, you know what? Guess what, older brothers? Uh, you're all going to bow down to me. And then he comes and had another, another dream. All of creation is going to bow down to me. Well, that didn't really win a lot of, you know, brownie points with his brothers and they threw him in a, in a well. Eventually sold him off as a slave. And he ends up in Egypt, and even though he's a virtuous man living in the sort of the castle in Egypt, he gets labeled and he gets thrown into a prison. And he does something to help people in prison, but the prisoners don't try to let him out. And so here's a guy who had some knowledge and said, hey, I think this is the way God's going to work. But then when he was 17, he gets sold into slavery. And he must have, while being a slave, while being in a country where he can't even understand anything they're saying, and then ending up in a prison saying, God, where are you? What, what are you doing? What was this message all about? It sure doesn't look like you're working for good. Until one day he interprets a dream. And the king says, hey, you come out and you take this favored spot. And Joseph comes out and he organizes for the next seven years food to be stored because there's going to be a great famine. And when a great famine comes, his own brothers come down to Egypt and they're looking for food. And they find Joseph. And Joseph reveals himself. And he says this in very familiar passage. You intended to harm me. But God meant it for good. For the saving of many lives, including your own. And you know. That's a shadow. What's it a shadow of? 
You see, God came to the earth, the king, the one whom all humanity should bow down to, the one whom all creation should bow down to. Instead, we made him a slave. We put him on a cross. And God says the same thing. You intended it for harm. But but I'm up on the surface. I'm up in the light where you can't quite see. And what you intended to be harmful, I intended for good. So you know, you know from your own experience, you know from reading the Bible, you know from the cross when you come into a worship service like this and you say, everyone else looks happy, but I'm, I'm bewildered. I'm in a place that I just don't understand what God is doing. It doesn't appear as any good could come out of it. We've got the cross right here for you. To say, there's places of bewilderment. There's places where it just doesn't look like any good can be resurrected out of this. And Paul's trying to send you a message from the surface saying, I'm working for good, even though you may not see it. That's what you can know. Second thing about this verse, or another thing about this verse, I should say, is and it's helpful to say this clearly, is that not all things are good. Paul's not saying evil is good. So if something evil happens, you wouldn't want to be sort of uh, crass or, or insensitive to say, well, must be good. I don't see it. It's not. It's evil. Evil is evil. It's not good. God can work it in a way that can be for good, but it's not good of what happened to Christ on the cross. It worked for our good. But lots of things that happen, tragedies, we need to understand and walk in beside people and say, I trust that God is at work, but what I see right here, I don't want you to think that's good at what happened. I think God can overcome evil, but this is evil. This is difficult. This is tragic. And at the moment of somebody's pain you want to enter into that pain very sensitively you don't want to walk in and say well it's going to be for the best i mean i'd want to pinch your head off at that point yeah in some some eternal way but right now it's it's not for the best it's tragic it's terrible and we want somebody to enter in at that level and probably the best example of that is john chapter 11 when when jesus comes to lazarus tomb this stuns me every time I, I read it. Jesus comes and Lazarus has been dead for three or four days. And what does Jesus know? <laughs> Watch this. That's what I'd be coming in. My buttons would be popping off my shirt like, whoa, guys, wait a minute. You can't, no more crying. Guess what's going to happen? That's what I would do. That's why it's not good that I'm not divine. There's a host of reasons. That's one of them. But Jesus comes in. He looks at the tomb. He looks at the people who are crying. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a moment. And what does Jesus do? He's weeping. It's not the way it's supposed to be. This was not the design. I, I've lost my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm mourning with those who are mourning here. 
even though there's going to be a resurrection, at the moment of the pain, is painful. And you just weep with those who weep. And so God is working for good, but we need to make sure we don't just throw that out in a way that's not, not helpful. Finally, Paul very specifically is saying all things are working together for good for a specific group of people. In other words, Romans 8.28 isn't like confetti. You don't pull it out and say, well, you know, everybody, yippee, God's working for good. He's not. He's working for good for some people, and he says who those people are. It's not working for good if you don't know him. It's not going to be good for you. Paul says it's for those who love God and those who are called. These are, it's helpful. I want to stay here on this point because it matters when we get to the next few verses. So many times in the Bible, you see these two intersections happen. Paul's trying to describe something from two different angles. It's important to see these angles working together sort of side by side. So sort of bear with me as we walk through this. First of all, he's, he's looking from the human angle, from the human direction. He's saying for all of those who love God, for all of those whose direction is, is Godward, for all of those whose internal compass is moving towards God, those people who love God, those are the people it's going to work out good for in the end. And... And here's another way to describe them. This is from the divine direction. We've got the human direction. I'm pointing towards God. I'm walking towards God. And then Paul describes it from another direction. Those who are called. This is something that God has done. People who are called doesn't refer to like an invitation. It refers to a summons. Again, uh, Lazarus, when, when Jesus came to the tomb, he didn't invite Lazarus to come out. Hey, Lazarus, we're all out here. Can you hear us? Hope you can make it out. Do your best. No, he did, it's not an invitation. It was a summons. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus had no choice. It was... A Lazarus is alive. Somebody said once said it was good that Jesus standing at the, the edge of this graveyard didn't just say, come forth. Because everyone would have come forth. So he just wanted to get one guy right now. Just Lazarus, you come forth right now. We'll get the rest of you later. And so he stands there. It's a, it's a divine summons. It's, it's something that is going to happen. So from God's direction, He has called, He has made something absolutely sure. And yeah, we have responded, we have looked towards Him, we are moving in His direction. Again, let me help us see. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you're going to see this in a couple other places. And I think it's just helpful because this is a conversation you can get into quite a bit theologically to see how both of these things are working together. 1 Corinthians 1.22. Paul is writing to, back to this church in Corinth, and he's saying, Jews demand a miraculous sign. Greeks are looking for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's a general call. We're preaching. I'm standing up and I'm 
preaching Christ. And I'm saying, come to Christ. That's a general call. That's, that's everyone who can hear my voice. Respond to the gospel. And that, that message, that preaching Christ, is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called a specific group, both out of Jews and the Greeks, Christ is the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. God summons you to see something. You, your blinders fall off. You, you, you go from dead to life. You go from darkness to light because of God's summons. And Paul is saying in Romans 8, this is a summons. This call is a, a summons. Now turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 1 just to help you see I'm not looking at one particular place. It's really all over the Bible. And I love this particular passage. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now get this. He blessed us. When did that blessing begin? Even, verse 4, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's God's divine summons. He's looking at his people prior to the world even being created. And he's calling you. He's summoning you to himself. And it's going to happen. Now look with me in verse 13, same chapter. Paul now is saying, okay, you people, you people in Ephesus, in him, you are also in Christ. Okay, you're also in Christ. Hmm. When am I in Christ? What would your anticipation be if you didn't read further? Well, Paul has just told me that people are chosen before the foundation of the earth. Now you, you, you're in Christ. Oh, I'm in Christ. When? Well, I guess before the foundation of the earth. That's what I would anticipate him saying. Look what he says. When? Now see, Paul's telling us what happens from the human uh, perspective. When you heard the word of truth. The gospel of salvation. And you believed in him. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, the story of your salvation is so much bigger than the moment you received Christ. When you said yes to Christ. It's a story that started a long time ago. Your story started before the foundation of the planet. So when you get in your story... And you go, this isn't going well. I don't like my situation. Maybe I don't even like myself. How do I know this is all going to work out for good? How do you know? Because before the foundation of the planet, God summoned you. And he's saying, I'm going to get you all the way there. I'm going to bring you all the way home. Not because of you. Because of me. Last illustration. I have this on my cell phone. I thought I had to bring it. I put the ringer on vibrate just to make sure. Here's the message I got. 
from David Heinrichs. You're all a little nervous right now. <laughs> this is back in April. This is what he says. Paul, Alex Lederbach prayed to become a Christian today. Alex is on the first row. His parents have been visiting Christ Community Church. He's going to give his testimony next week and be baptized here. But see, I have a text that says, hey, in April, Alex prayed to receive Christ today. That happened in April? Are you nervous about answering? <laughs> yes, it happened in April. From what we can see, that's what happened. We're celebrating that. But what does Alex know now? Oh, it's a divine summons. So, so when he gets to college and he goes, look at me. How could I call myself a Christian? What can help him at that point? It, it wasn't just me. It was a divine summons that called me. God has me. He, he chose me. He's going to bring me all the way home. That's what helps when you're in those kinds of situations. So we see this in the text. We see it all over the Bible. That God is, is doing something that's so much bigger than us. He's up at the surface. It's so much brighter up there. And yes, we're down here. And when you get lost, you need to know what's happening from up on the surface. So let's turn to... Verse 29 and 30. And 29 and 30, 28 is like the platform, and 29 and 30 are like the, is like the support structure or the pilings. I've made a statement, 28, and then Paul says, well, here, let me make sure I got enough support underneath this statement. And so he puts these five pilings or these five beams underneath this surface of verse 28 to make sure you understand what's happening. And this is often referred to as the, the five links of a golden chain. These, these five things that are sort of linked together. And just as you read it, you see how one is sort of linked to the other. But, but before we just talk about those briefly, and we won't have enough time to really unpack them, but I was just trying to think, um, Paul is trying to... Help us see something from an eternal perspective. And what would, what would that be like? And I, this is what I thought, going back to the miners. The, the minister of health is saying, we've got to make sure the people down there, a half a mile below the earth, they understand what's happening at the surface. They, they know what's happening at the surface. So, so let's just assume at the site they've got a giant table with a schematic and a plan and here's where the drill's going to go and they've got all these plans and they're trying to communicate that plan to the people who are 2,200 feet below the earth's surface. Now what if they could just, by some Star Trek means, teleport one guy up to see the plans? Hey, we're going to get this guy up here at noon today. It's coming up in 15 minutes. We've got the plans all laid out, and we're going to put them right in front of the plans, so we send them back down, and he knows. Noon today, you bring a guy out of the earth who's been in darkness for a month, what's going to happen? He's not going to be able to see anything. It's too bright. He can't see up at the surface right now. 
It's beyond his understanding. He's going to get up there. It's going to be so bright. He's not going to be able to hardly even absorb what's going on. Well, that's what these verses are like. When, when you read these verses, you're coming up to the surface, the real surface. The, the plans, the eternal plans of God Almighty. So when you get up there and you start observing these verses and you say, you know, I just don't quite get it. Don't be surprised. No shock there. We're down here. We can't quite see. So when you, when you come up to the surface, when Paul tries to bring you up here and you go, man, this is mind-blowing. It should be mind-blowing. It's what God is doing. If you go, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, you're not getting it. This is what God is doing from all of eternity. Does that make sense? So when we come up, we're, we're looking at the, the brightest light of, of God's plan unfolding. And the first thing, you just notice that it's really all about God. God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, God glorified. The reason you and I can stand here and say, there's no condemnation for me. I know God is working for my good. I'm absolutely rock solid. Know it's going to happen. How can I have that confidence? Because it doesn't have anything to do with me. If I put myself in that equation even a little bit, I'm real nervous. But I'm not in that equation. I'm articulating what God has done before the foundation of the world. And so we're totally confident that this is going to happen. God foreknew. These are the five pillars we're ending here this morning. There's lots of ways to think about this word, and I think that Paul is saying requires a larger discussion, but God isn't foreseeing something that's going to happen and then deciding, okay, I see that, now I'm going to back up and make this happen. No, because then that would be based on what we do. I foresee that Paul is going to meet Christ, and so now I'm going to predestine him. That's not the way it's working. This word for no is a, a relational term. I knew something about you. I was intimately connected to you. I called you. And you see it again all over the Bible. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in, the mother, in your mother's womb, what does it say? I knew you. You didn't just pop on the screen. Oh, you're pregnant. Gosh, who's in there? Oh, Jeremiah. Okay. I mean, that's not the way God works. He, he knows before it happens. That's why he's God. And I'm not. That's, that's what happens. Amos 3.2. God is speaking to the Israelites. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You, I mean, gosh, I've just known the Israelites. And, oh, look, there's Midianites and Egyptians. And that's not how God reacts. I know all of the families of the earth, but I'm knowing, I'm intimately connected to, I'm calling these people a unique people. Matthew seven twenty two and 23. You remember this statement. Jesus looks at this group of people and say, you know, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did, not, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform miracles? And who's going to look to them and what's he going to say? I never, I never knew you. Who are you? What's your name? 
No, that's not what he's talking about. He doesn't. It's not like he doesn't know that they don't exist. He hasn't chosen them. He hasn't put his favor on them. He hasn't called them. He hasn't summoned them. And so the knowing is something that God sees from before the foundation of the earth. And I would say that raises a host of questions that we can't tackle right now. But you should not be surprised that it raises a host of questions. You're up in the brightest light. You're talking about God Almighty's known before the earth even was formed. And so for those who he has chosen, for those who he has called out, he has predestined. You have a destiny. This isn't it. You're trapped in a mine. You might die in the mine. The miners might die in the mine. You might die in the the little compartment you're in. You might pray for it. You might work for it to be different, but you might die in that mind. That's not your destiny. That's not the destination. That's the hard road that you had to travel. And I want to hold your hand and pray for you as you travel through it. But that's not your destination. Your destination is something else. And the something else is to be conformed to the image of God Almighty. What a destination. And then he's working this for good so that one day you would say, yes. That was so good because it helped me be conformed to his image. And that's the destination that we have. He calls us. He, we already talked about that. He summoned us. He justified us. That's why we had that in the uh, affirmation of faith. We're, we're really free. God paid everything down for us. He didn't put you on parole. He didn't say, well, I'm giving you this pass right now, but you better shape up. Because if you step out of line too many times, bang, you're out. That's not what he's saying. You're not on parole. You're in. Amen. You're in. Why? He divinely summoned you before the creation of the world. He's going to get you all the way home. And you're not going to have to pay off anything because he paid it. And then really, I think maybe the most unbelievable word you're you're going to be glorified. It is not a problem for me to think that I'm going to glorify God. I mean, we say that all the time. What's the chief in a man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? But you see what Paul is telling us? You're, you're going to walk in one day to eternity. And yet you're going to give God glory. But what is he going to do? It's stunning. He's going to glorify you. He's going to give weight to your existence. He's going to pour forth his glory into you so that people would look and go, wow, look at Paul Phillips. I mean, that doesn't happen now, but I'm waiting for that day, right? You're waiting for that day. Isn't it incredible? It's an incredible link 
And notice that it's in the past tense. Paul's so certain it's going to happen, he can talk about it like it's already happened. There's no question. There's no question for Paul, but maybe there's a question for you. You came in, you you got your nicest clothes on, but inside it's not very nice. You smile, but when you leave, you're going to go right back into this little compartment. It's 93 degrees all the time. You feel buried. God is for you. He's good. He is working all things, all things for good. For those who love him. The best I can do is to say come. If you don't know him. Hear me call. And maybe this is the day. That you hear that divine summons. That he's saying. You come. Let's pray together. Lord what a great and powerful. Set of verses. Oh, what a, a rock that we can stand on. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that are, that are overcome. They look at themselves and say, what a wretched man, what a wretched woman that I am. Who could save me from this body of death? Or they find themselves in life circumstances where they don't know what to pray for. They're just groaning. And may they land on this rock-solid, secure truth. May they know for certain that you are at work and you are at work for their good. And Lord, I'm so limited in my calling, so general to call people who are here this morning who don't know you to come to to respond to the work of the holy spirit to to hear your voice would you make that happen in a way that i could never make happen today lord thank you for the opportunity to live in a city try to live out this certainty Would you help us take our resources, not just our money, but our time, our talents to serve you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.